Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Gordon Dean, and this is the Source Seed Pod podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Source Seed Pod podcast. I'm your host, Gordon Dean, and I wanted to go ahead and start today's podcast with a little story. Back in the 1800s, there was an attorney here in the U.S. who was also a uh, real estate investor and developer by the name of Horatio Spafford, S-P-A-F-F-O-R-D. Now, if you're familiar with this story, don't spoil it for anybody around you who else might be listening. Because uh, this is going to be one of those dramatic build-up kind of things. So, back in 1871, Mr. Spafford lost nearly everything he had in the Great Fire in Chicago in 1871. This, unfortunately was not the first exposure to loss and grief that he and his family were to uh, endure. Uh, Just a few months before the fire, they lost their son at the age of four to a rather nasty disease. In the process of trying to clean up this mess in regard to the fire, in the process of trying to rebuild, uh, Mr. Spafford decided that his family needed a bit of a break to kind of get away from things. And they were going to go on vacation in Europe. And travel arrangements had been made. Uh, The family was to uh, sail to Europe. And shortly before they were to embark on this trip, uh, Spafford realized that he still had some loose ends that needed to be tied up in regard to uh, some zoning issues regarding uh, recovery from the damage to the fire, or from the fire. So he sent his wife and his four daughters on ahead in the boat and said, you know, basically... Uh, I'll, I'll catch up to you. Just go. You guys have a good time. Start relaxing. I'll be along shortly. A short while later, before he could get on his boat, Mr. Spafford received a telegram from his wife. And while it came as a bit of a relief to him because... At the time, he didn't know whether she was alive or dead. The telegram also brought with it some very disheartening news. The ship that his wife and four daughters was on was in a collision accident with another ship out on the seas in the Atlantic and sank. Hundreds of people were lost in that wreck. And of Spafford's family, only his wife remained. So in the course of just a few short years, 
He lost his son. He was effectively bankrupted. And then he lost his four daughters and almost his wife. Mr. Spafford, realizing that his wife was completely inconsolable, effectively dropped everything, jumped on his boat, and proceeded to England, where he would meet up with his wife. In the process, the captain of the boat that he was on, the Lachern, Uh, brought him to the uh, to the deck at a certain point to let him know that this was where his daughters had perished. And as Mr. Spafford looked over the railing of the the ship, he was overcome with a lot of emotions, certainly. But one of them was peace. Because Mr. Spafford was a Christian. He was saved. He was very confident that his children now rested with God and that one day he would see them again. And it was at that moment that he was inspired to write a song to, I guess, grieve, to bring hope and peace. You might be familiar with it. The, the lyrics go like this. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to know, it is well, it is well with my soul. Now, of course, you can go on, but for me, the the reason why this particular hymn has stood the test of time is because it is it is an absolute indictment of the Christian faith from top to bottom. Let me read you a couple of other excerpts. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. The, the lyrics go on. If, if you're familiar with the song, you know what I'm talking about. It's, it's an amazing piece of work, and it is quite possibly one of the most classic Christian hymns. It transcends quite literally every other piece of literature on the subject, save for the Bible alone. And the point of this is that we have a tendency when when things collapse around us we have a tendency to focus 
on what we've lost. And when we're grieving, it's, it's really easy for us to, to lose sight of everything else that's around us. And, and when, when you're grieving, it's, it's difficult. When people come to you and, and they want to say things that comfort you, like the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Or uh, you know, uh, God God leaves His peace with us. But here's the thing: if you haven't been able to truly internalize what Scripture tells us about these things, this is going to be nothing but hollow and empty words. Because frankly, if you haven't been able to find peace in God when things are rough, you're never going to be able to find peace in God when things are going well. Now, I understand that that kind of sounds counterintuitive because, you know, look, let's be honest, when things are going well, it's easy to be at peace, right? Except that it's not. And, and what, what people don't understand is that those are the times that you need to be practicing your peace and your faith and coming to truly understand what it means to be at peace in God. Now, the issue that we face is that when we're in these times of plenty, when everything's going right and you just, I mean, you can't do anything wrong and everything's falling in your lap, that's when we have a tendency to kind of forget God's involvement in this stuff. And it's incredibly easy to fall into the trap of, well, for lack of a better word, self-worship. When things are going really well, it's really easy to just ride the wave instead of continually reminding yourself this is God's doing and to be ready for the fact that this is probably not going to last forever and when it isn't like this anymore I will still praise God you know it's kind of like uh I don't know if you're familiar with the Kendrick brothers. They make a lot of Christian movies. Very uh, mainstream, as a matter of fact, for, for Christian movie makers. They're very mainstream. Uh, you might have heard of uh, Fireproof, Kirk Cameron film. That was Kendrick brothers. That's what really put them on the map. But they did a football movie Gosh, I think it was back in um, 2005, 2006, something like that, called Facing the Giants. 
And obviously that's kind of a play on David facing Goliath. And one of the things that really stood out to me a lot in that movie, kind of, you know, you see a movie and there's something that'll stick with you. Well, this is one of them. He's in the locker room, the, the coach is, and, and he's, he's having a talk with the team, basically stating, you know, look, guys, we're going to start doing things a little bit differently. And, and what it boils down to is we're going to, we're going to put God first in all of this. It's not about us. It's about him. Now, obviously, because the world we live in, if you if there's an issue with that, you are certainly welcome to leave or to not participate, but understand that it's for me and my house. So he goes on to provide what ultimately ends up being one of the greatest football movie pep talks of all time. But it culminates in an admonition that we are going to praise God. If we win, we praise him. If we lose, we praise him. And the idea being, of course, that you know God brings all these things together for our own good. So even if we lose, there is something being done for us and in us and to us. Now, my, my point in saying all of this is that whether we are in plenty or we are in want, we need to keep first and foremost in our minds and in our hearts that God is good all the time. Whether we're sitting on a pile of money or trying to figure out where the next meal is going to come from, God is still good. And it's part of our, our human nature to look at when, when, when things aren't going well, it's, it's our human nature to look at this and say, why has God abandoned me? And if, forgive me if this sounds rough. But if that's the first place your heart turns, the moment things start going not your way, then you need to reevaluate your relationship with God. Now, don't misunderstand, folks. I'm not talking about, you know, going back to, to use Spafford's example, I'm not saying that the man should not mourn the loss of his son and his daughters. There is a difference between mourning And blaming God. The man had faith that whatever this was, God was working it to his good. And if you're sitting there thinking to yourself, what good could possibly have come out of this? I would ask you to back up and take a look at the bigger picture. How many millions of people have been comforted 
by the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. How many millions of people have been reminded that no matter what happens on this earth, no matter how those sea billows roll, that God is in control. And because of that, it doesn't matter what's brought to me. My soul will be at peace. So with that, I kind of wanted to touch on a couple of pieces of Scripture. And I'd actually, I'd like for you, if you're in a spot where you can take notes, either on your phone, write them down, whatever, there's a couple of pieces of Scripture that I, I want to throw your direction because I want you to, to not only read these passages of Scripture, but to focus on them and internalize them and and pick them apart and understand what they mean. So with that, I mean, like I said, grab your phone, grab your pen and paper, whatever it is you need to do, he's down. Um, let me just rattle them off real quick, and then we'll actually take a quick look at them. Um, John 16, 22, Philippians 4, 6 through 7, John 14, 27, James 1, verses 2 and 3, and Romans 8, verses 38 and 39. Now, let's kind of take a quick look at some of these. Now, now again, remember, the, the entire Old and New Testament is replete with this stuff. And there's a reason for it. So, like I said, let's, let's take a little bit closer look here. John 16, 22. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. If you're not familiar with the passage, this is, this is Jesus talking to his apostles about his imminent return to heaven. I'm, I'm going to be leaving you. But don't be upset. Don't be afraid because you will see me again. And that's, that is the genuine hope that we Christians share is that someday we will be in heaven with our loved ones that are also saved. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, there's a lot to pick apart here, and, and frankly, I could spend probably the better part of 30 minutes just doing that. And in fact, I may someday. But for right now, what I'm trying to point out is, regardless of what it is that has your heart heavy, you're anxious about your job or your lack of a job or where you're going to be able to come up with the money for the new roof on the house or, or whatever it is, 
take all of that through prayer, petition, and thanksgiving. And I'm going to pick that apart in reverse. Thanksgiving, you know, Father, dear God, I am so grateful for everything that you have done for me and continue to do for me. Not, dear God, there's a hole in my roof. Now, yes, you do bring this to him, but you are being thankful that you have a roof in the first place. It's a mindset. It's a heart thing. The next, again, going back uh, in reverse order there, petition. This is not about just coming to God, letting him know what's on your heart and moving on with your life. This is something that you need to continually be praying about. You need to stay on top of it. You need to continually be bringing this to God. That's what it means to to petition him through prayer. But here's the defining moment. The peace of God which transcends all understanding. In other words, you cannot even wrap your head around the peace that God can bring you. I I can't even begin to describe, if you're not a believer, or you're a new Christian, you're going through your first true test of faith, your first true, uh, for lack of a better word, your first tribulation since accepting Christ, you you can't understand what the peace of God feels like until you actively seek it and submit to it. It is truly beyond any description. So when this says God's peace transcends all understanding, I I promise you that there are no words in the English language or any other language to describe the kind of peace that God can bring to you. And it's important that you seek out that peace and begin to, again, seek it out and internalize it. Because as you do so, it will also guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. It'll become something that you are continually seeking out. And in so doing, proceeding on the path to that peace. Again, John 14, 27. This is again Jesus speaking to his apostles. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. And I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. That actually is the companion piece uh, to, to the previous one. You know, Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. But this is, it, it's a continuation of that, even though it preceded, uh, in, in linear time, it preceded the Philippian quote. The end result of this is, again, that peace is not just, quote-unquote, God's peace. It's also Christ's peace. And that's why, again, uh, uh, Paul makes that reference between the peace of God and, and 
guarding your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. They're one and the same. The peace is all the same. And if you look uh, more closely at the passage from John in chapter 14, you'll know that Christ's reference here goes on to describe that he is leaving his Holy Spirit with us in our hearts to guide us to this peace. James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Again, if you are not a Christian, and you're facing some sort of a tribulation right now, it, I'm sure, feels like you are alone and adrift in a sea of, of, of pain, of fear, of, of anguish, of loss, of, of whatever it is that is, is causing you this angst. And if you're a new Christian, and this, again, is your, is your first trial, it's easy to slip back into the old mindset because, let's be honest, you've spent so many years developing that mindset that says, I'm on my own. I have nothing and no one that I can turn to. But I want you to think about this for a second. I've explained to you that you need to through prayer and petition, seek out God, bringing all of these things to him and surrendering them to him. And again, if you're not quite sure what that means, there's another podcast been, been posted about that. You can go take a look at that. But when you surrender all of these things to him, you relinquish any control over it. And again, you will find that peace. And in so doing, you start to develop a new habit and a new way of, of viewing these things and a new perspective that allows you to eventually find joy in the face of trials. Because you know, not you've heard, not you think, not you want to believe, you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. This goes right back to the parable of the seed sower. If you're a new Christian and that seed is in fact in this rocky soil, it's, it's great you spring up and you, and you oh, it's wonderful and I'm saved and I'm forgiven and it's beautiful and it's great. And the moment that a trial comes along, that sunshine starts to beat down on you, that heat, you wither away. But if instead that seed is planted in good soil, when the sun comes up and brings that heat, it doesn't cause you to wither. It causes you to flourish. Now, I'm sure you've heard the, the old thing about the same heat that hardens an egg softens the potato. It's not about 
the circumstances. It's about what you're made of. And to a certain degree, that's true even in Christian faith. If part of your makeup, if part of your soul, part of your heart, part of your being is not the understanding that God is in control of all of this, that he will bring you through it, that he will bring you peace, you're not going to be able to withstand the heat and you're simply going to fade away. So again, consider it joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And that's a strong word, perseverance. What it means is to continue forward in the face of obstacles. And the only way that you are ever going to get to a point where you can face and overcome those obstacles is through practice. If you never face trials, you will never know how to face trials. And more importantly, you'll never know how to win over those trials. And again, this is not something that needs to be inborn in you. God will take care of that. Again, if only you will surrender it to him. Now, the last piece I wanted to touch on is out of Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, again, this is one of those things that, you know, we, we, can, we can say at a funeral. And, and of course, it, it just as common, of course, is, you know, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. How that got to be part of a funeral, I have no idea, but it's neither here nor there. But again, if you don't understand what this scripture is telling you, it's not going to be of any value. Now we can sit here and pick this one apart 38 ways to Saturday, but the end result of it is simple. Nothing in this world can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Unless we decide to let it make us feel that way. And that's why it's called a trial, folks. It's called a trial because the outcome is what's going to be the defining factor. Even if we use earthly terms. We put somebody on trial 
for murder. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll go all out and make it the big example. We put somebody on trial for murder. There is evidence presented. There are accusations. There are defenses. And in the end, the, the outcome or judgment of that trial is it's it's binding it tells us what the truth is supposed to be it tells us what really happened that's the purpose of a trial and whether you come out at the end innocent or blameless or you come out convicted and guilty remains to be seen you don't know as you're going through that trial what it's going to end up looking like now again that's a flawed example and I, I know I use those on a regular basis the fact is you know we're human we have human lawyers we have human judges we have human juries we all are subject to that but I'm trying to again I'm trying to draw a picture in your mind about what this looks like so what's the takeaway from all of this the takeaway is that you can't grow in your faith unless you face trials but even before you get to those trials you need to be practicing putting your faith and your trust in God and relying on him for comfort because unless you make that your habit the moment these trials come along you are going to wither and fade just like the seed that was thrown in amongst the rocks so what are you doing to cultivate your soil are you leaving the rocks there and waiting for the Sun to come out and burn your plant or are you getting down on your hands and knees pulling those rocks out of the soil and providing your seed with an opportunity to take root to grow and to produce a bountiful harvest this has been the Sower Seed Pod podcast, and I'm your host, Gordon Dean.